Hey everyone, welcome to episode 99 as we uh, hurl ourselves uncontrollably towards 100 episodes of doing this since going back to last year. Uh, all tuckered out, obviously uh, a dumb title, but um, commenting tonight about Tucker Carlson's sudden dismissal from Fox as well as Don Lamont's expected dismissal from CNN and also breaking today uh, was the news that Disney is... Uh, cutting ties with Nate Silver in 538. So there's kind of like this whole uh, Black Monday thing happening this week uh, in media. And obviously, uh, I don't speculate on anything behind the scenes at Fox, whether it was conduct related or lawsuit related or anything like that. Um, it is interesting that once again, Fox has cut ties with their you know highest advertising, I guess you could say star, as well as our highest rated show and doing so quite abruptly. So uh, there's obviously still a lot that's going to come out on that stuff. Um, this is just kind of a companion piece to my podcast today where I talked about, you know, as someone who is not a frequent Tucker Carlson watcher, uh, but on occasion when I did or when I gleaned clips, and uh, as I mentioned, certainly during COVID, uh, I never thought that I want to say mainstream journalists really got the appeal of him. And a lot of it has to do with almost no one understands this kind of weird populist slash nationalist moment that we're in more than he does. And what do I mean by that? You, of course, you can mean it politically. Uh, but as I noted in a podcast, while you have CNN, you know, orchestrating Andrew Cuomo's press conferences and you have MSNBC deifying Anthony Fauci and just nodding along to Gretchen Whitmer and her mask and her Fauci pillow or whatever, uh, there really was only one person on the entirety of cable news that was uh, regularly putting on people who had their businesses closed or lost jobs due to vaccine mandates or what have you. And that was always kind of the thing Carlson figured out that uh, the rest of, I guess, opinion hosts never really did figure out. And I would argue, you know, people like Jesse Waters, you know, are decent at uh, talking to just kind of the normies. And so, uh, Beyond someone who, again, is not a regular viewer, and I don't like to speculate about the dismissal, those were kind of my thoughts today on Carlson's ouster. Don Lamont's dismissal was something we saw coming from, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. And so that one's not really shocking, and it seems to be an exchange between uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, that seemed to put that one over the top. And I played that clip today on the podcast as well, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to it. Uh, Don Lamont going all in on 1619 nonsense and getting lectured. And then of course he pulls the earpiece out of his ear and kind of loses it. And so it's, it's, it is interesting to me that Don Lamont is basically out at CNN due to his comments or interactions with two GOP presidential candidates. And uh, that's not accidental to what Chris Licht is trying to do. He's trying to turn CNN into a place where he thinks Republicans can come on and sit by a nice warm fire and have a nice chat with Jake Tapper, Anderson Cooper, and uh, I'll say right now, any Republican who's stupid enough to fall for that doesn't deserve to be in the GOP uh, 2024 primary. And so I wanted to get just your thoughts. Uh, if you guys out there are Fox News viewers at all, uh, do you have parents or boomers that uh, are bereft with grief and have nothing to watch at 8 p.m. anymore? Um, or any opinions just about cable news as a landscape in general? Uh, John Gabriel had a great piece about it's not so much the comings and goings of hosts. 
as much as it is the cable news is just the viewership is down across the board. Uh, there's only about 5 million people who watch it regularly in a country of 330 million. Uh, and you would think based just based on how all consuming our media is with all things Fox News, uh, that those numbers would be inflated and larger, but they're really not. Uh, I saw a great comment where someone says you basically just turn it on when something crashes, <laughs> which is pretty close. And so it is interesting as media changes, independent media apps like Call and apps like Substack, apps like Rumble, and where most people now go to tune in or get commentary or, you know, get news or, or what have you. And so any thoughts that, like I said, this is kind of um, your time to vent. Uh, if you listen to my podcast, this makes a kind of a companion piece where uh, you can get your comments out here or what have you. And so, uh, yeah. Uh, we'll go probably for about the usual hour or so or until I run out of people who want to talk. Um, but if you jump in the queue and if you're a first timer, feel free to do that. I take all comers, but, uh, just please mute your microphone. If you are on the call, it just makes it easier for the audience, makes it easier for me to focus as well as, uh, just getting rid of background noise for the published recording. And, uh, just a reminder, yep, these are all recorded. You can go back and listen to them. Uh, I don't edit these. Uh, I like the kind of freewheeling nature of them with, you know, warts and all. So uh, you can go back and listen to yourself there. The other thing I would ask is just be mindful if there's other people in the queue behind you uh, to just kind of make your point, stay on topic, and uh, then just go ahead and step aside. And so we'll just do that for this Tuesday night. I do plan on being here at the end of the week as well to just kind of wrap up the week. So uh, if, I, if I sound a little tired or out of it, I am. <laughs> I had a late night game last night, and uh, the, just this has been – this has been a week that when I woke up at 7 a.m. yesterday has just been going, you know, ludicrous speed with uh, pieces and media hits and people wanting comments and stuff. And so uh, it, it, it is it is the job that I'm in. And so I kind of just have to roll with it. So uh, if I sound a little out of it, I am. But um, I'll try to wake up here as we go along. So we'll just jump right in. Uh, Robert, good to see you again. You a Tucker viewer, are you a Fox viewers or someone you want to see them put in that time slot are you taking your you know are you taking your ball and going home and not watching it anymore uh just give me your thoughts in general on that um i uh you know honestly don't 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 watch uh cable news of really any type anymore um why not can i ask um uh well one just just because uh uh YouTube uh, and uh, and now Substack are really the only two places I need to get uh, enough news to satiate me. Um, <laughs> uh, you and and one other uh, person on on Substack, um, and uh, and then I'll I'll listen to podcasts uh, and or clips on YouTube uh, usually. Uh, Joe Rogan, comic Dave Smith, uh, Michael Malice, and uh, Jimmy Dore. And I know Jimmy had uh, a, a pretty lengthy uh, and seemingly good explanation as to why uh, they uh, Fox uh, t- uh, cut Tucker loose. Um, and uh, you know, and, you know, uh, despite a few. Uh, quibbles over, you know, some issues of his, uh, you know, admired him for, you know, actually 
you know, daring to speak more truth than uh, basically anyone else on cable news and actually having people, uh, you know, like him or, you know, uh, other people with different points of view and uh, including recently, uh, you know, I guess uh, maybe that Heritage Foundation speech where he talked about defending, uh, you know, black uh, nationalist socialists uh, uh you know a, a demographic that obviously uh doesn't really uh mesh with with his ideology but uh you know he felt that uh you know they were being censored by uh by the government and you know he you know dared to speak out in support of them um so that's that's generally um why um although uh 2016 did not help because uh, as soon as Trump arrived, uh, mom and dad could not get enough of him. And, uh, and you know, unfortunately, Fox aired uh, uh, more Trump than I'd, I'd like to uh, <laughs> uh, enjoy. Um, you know, I was you know, very much a, a Rand Paul guy in 2016. And I, I, you know, had a few grievances with, uh, uh, with, with Fox, even in 2012, because I felt that they, uh, didn't give Ron Paul, uh, enough credit, um, especially Chris Wallace. Uh, so I, 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 I have not cared for him. Um, and even, even I felt, you know, uh, uh, times when maybe uh, Wallace and Brett Baer were talking, you know, I, I wish Brett Baer may have, you know, would have spoken up maybe, but usually, he, you know, he didn't. So, does does his does, uh, does Carlson not being on Fox does that matter to you? Do you are you just like I'm not watching anymore, or, or were you just kind of uh, out of it anyway. You did, it doesn't um, like really affect your media habits or anything. And do, do you think that he goes somewhere else or what? Um, I, I mean, I mean, because I, I haven't watched much, uh, you know, in fact, the last time I usually, you know, if I ever have the television on, uh, I actually tend to watch Fox business, uh, you know, a certain, uh, certain favorite podcast. That, that, that's host, a good uh, network. And Kennedy is really good on that network. Yeah, I, I agree. I've I've uh, long adored her since uh, my MTV days myself. So uh, uh, you know, and uh, just knowing the little bit of trivia behind her and uh, you know the Goo Goo Dolls uh, and a particular song, uh, I must confess the Goo Goo Dolls are my second favorite band uh, behind you know who. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, so it's just a little bit of a, you know, Zen moment, uh, every time I get to, uh, watch her, um, uh, and, uh, you know, especially with the party panel. So, uh, I, uh, you know, do, uh, appreciate, uh, that show more than, uh, you know, anything on, on the main, on the, on the mothership, uh, besides maybe, you know, I do like Cavuto, but. 
Uh, not a big fan of Laura Ingram. Uh, so not a big so so wrapping up. Who, if you could have your, if you got to choose who you want to see in that time slot, who would you put in there? Uh, Be anybody. Pick someone. Not me. Okay. Well, hell, Kennedy uh, or Cavuto. I, I, you know, I wouldn't mind Cavuto having more of a prime time slot. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, you know, I, I like his stuff a lot. I feel like he, you know, uh, you know, has, uh, uh, is generally, you know, good. And, uh, you know, the fact that he and I sadly share, uh, you know, a certain hardship in common doesn't, uh, you know, you know, obviously means I, I would connect more with him anyway, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's probably who I would pick. Um, and the only other, uh, quick thought I might add is, uh, if you could assign a grade, a percentage grade to Chris Licht based on the number of changes, uh, he has made, uh, at CNN, um, what would you give him? And I would say, uh, he has accomplished about, 20%, Twenty percent, uh, maybe twenty-five percent of what I would want him to do uh, to make CNN uh, palatable, palatable for me. But that's certainly twenty-five percent more than uh, Jeff Zucker ever did. Uh, I don't, I don't think I can give him a letter grade because I still think, I mean, Chris Lick used to be Stephen Colbert's producer, amongst other things. So he's a liberal guy. Uh, who, to me, is just trying to steer CNN into being more closeted liberal. He's trying to get back to um, just saying, hey, you know, we're we're the news network. And Robert, thank you. Good to talk to you again. I'm just moving Craig up. Um, I just I think that he's he's doing moves that he thinks he has to. So he gets rid of Stelter, who was basically a Jeff Zucker henchman. Uh, he gets rid of Cuomo, who just, you know, same thing with um the Jeff Zucker stuff and, and, and uh, Fredo Cuomo gets rid of him because I think he has to. And then, of course, now he gets rid of Don Lamont because he has to. And if you notice a lot of the other talent, he's just kind of rearranging them around the network. And these are the same personalities that people aren't interested in hearing from. Um, but I think for someone to come into CNN and say, oh, we're getting rid of everyone, well, that's probably tough unless you have a grand scheme about who you want to replace them with. So... Uh, I don't really give Chris Lick credit for doing anything at CNN because, to me, he's just trying to make it a more closeted, you know, neoliberal progressive network and trying to make it what it was 25 years ago, which was we're going to act like this is straight news. We're going to present it to you like it's straight news. But, of course, it's not. And you you obviously have people like Anderson Cooper and Wolf Blitzer who are adapted doing that and being that and acting that way. And so um, I, I've said, I don't know if CNN really wanted to make waves, if they really, really, you know, wanted to upset the apple cart and say, hey, instead of just talking about Fox News all the time, why don't we go out and try to poach some of their viewers? Maybe you do bring in Tucker Carlson to do a, you know, like a crossfire type reunion show, or maybe you just say, hey, let's do Tucker and Maddow um, or whatever. Um, but they're not going to do that because to them, you know, the inside revolt isn't worth it eventually. And so I don't know. I don't really give him that much credit just because I'm skeptical of of everyone that comes out of that entire world. 
And so that's that's what it seems to me Chris Licht is doing. It's, you know, hey, we want people like Glenn Youngkin to come onto CNN. And then Glenn Youngkin comes on CNN and he gets ambushed by Jake Tapper's audience. And that to me is more about what he's trying to do other than just going back to just straight unbiased fact-check news where we hold people like Joe Biden accountable and Daniel Dale isn't fact-checking, you know, local reps from Iowa's third district. And so uh, that's just kind of how I view it. Uh, Craig, thanks for waiting. I just bumped you up because you're always back there and I think we end with you. So I'm just uh, screwing with the order here, but go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Um, Yeah, normally, normally I get it, but um, the last couple of times my daughter has decided to wake up from her about an hour break that she gives me every evening. And I have to had to drop out a couple of times, but luckily her and mom decided to make a target run tonight. So I get a nice little evening with you, you me and the couple opening, go nuts. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, honestly, the, the Tucker thing, I've not paid attention to it. I saw he was let go. And I said, this is going to be a stupid week and haven't really paid attention. But I did want to get your take. Um, sorry if we got anybody else in there on how what you think the playoffs are like. And if you got any thoughts on Edmonton and the Kings tonight, I've kind of picked up Edmonton just randomly being a Texas guy. Oilers said, great, they're my team now. Um, and so have been following them guy, as close as someone can. Texas guy and you picked up a team from a traitorous failed nation state? Hey, you know, they like oil. We like oil. We need as many freedom molecules out of the ground as possible. Yeah, you know, Saudi Arabia likes oil too, you know, and and they, you know, they, whatever. Um, <laughs> I So my playoffs are, my bracket, which I, I just do a bracket for fun. I didn't like gamble or anything, uh, is looking pretty good right now. I had the Maple Leafs over the Lightning, and that was a risky pick, but I think it's going to pay off. And I had the LA Kings over the Oilers. And I know that the series is tied, but L.A. is just beating the shit out of them. The thing with the thing with the Oilers is they're very fast. And that's why they're very good in the regular season with Dreisaitl and McDavid and their guys. They're a very fast, speedy team. And the problem with that is when you get into the playoffs, you also need size and you need to be able to hit guys. And the Kings, to me, match up very well against the Oilers because that's the kind of game the Kings play. It's similar to why Seattle is mucking it up with Colorado and now crying over their guy getting injured, whatever. So my playoffs right now are looking very good. Um, I really wish my avalanche would have won last night because then you get who, you know, Dallas and Minnesota just absolutely beating the shit out of each other for the next, you know, week. Uh, but that doesn't look like that's going to happen. And that, I assume that that's going to go six or seven games as well. So I'm, I'm in mode right now where I'm, I'm not watching every game. I'm watching some of parts of games, um, because I'm just, I'm, I'm pretty much so convinced that Boston is going to pretty much roll through everybody and it won't get real interesting until the finals. And so, and out of the West right now, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, Edmonton could be a team that is out in the first round or they could be a Stanley Cup finals team. It just kind of depends. I don't think that they, I don't think Edmonton is there yet. I think Edmonton is who the Colorado Avalanche were four seasons ago which is there are some parts there. There are the right parts there to start it. They're very fast, um, but they're not accustomed to playoff-style hockey, which is speed's great until, you know, you get flattened, and now it's I don't want that to happen again. 
And so to me, Edmonton uh, is definitely going to be, you know, a cup team probably here in three to four seasons when they get, when they toughen up a bit and get some size and get some defense and maybe they'll find a goalie. Um, but yeah, I've, I haven't tuned into every single game, um, but I've been pretty pleased with how they've been going. I like just, I like seeing just teams just go absolutely just killing each other in the first round because that, you know, that's a good indicator about what the next rounds are going to look like. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've been paying attention more and picking up on some of the nuances on kind of the speed versus size. And it's a good, as a, as a football guy, it's a good uh, kind of analogy, something to, to watch to say, oh, this is a, a similar dynamic. Um, but what it I'm, is, it is a different to, game. Yeah. Like I, I say this game, to people who are physical, physical aspects. No, there, yeah, but I, what no, I've been what trying I, what, to get. Yeah. I mean, what I mean is, yeah. I mean, what I mean is it's a, from the regular season of the playoffs, it's a different game. Like not, not it's a different game for football. I'm saying that hockey in the regular season is a different game than hockey in the playoffs. It's faster. Ah, it's more brutal. It. Yeah. It's, it's the highlights are better. Um, and so you really learn the depth of teams and the teams that have four lines are the teams that are going to go, uh, as far as they can. And I still, like I said, Edmonton has maybe the best first line in the NHL and they have a pretty decent second line. And after that, they, they get really thin back there. Um, but yeah, for anyone who's, you know, that I talk to, that's not like an accustomed hockey fan. Um, I don't ever really tell them to watch the regular season. I just say when April playoffs start, just, just tune it in. Uh, because you will not, you will not see anything like it. You will, if you've seen those games live, you, you have no idea how anything ever happens out there. Just with how small the ice is. Um, I mean, they play on the same size ice that I play on, and so these guys are all six four, and they can all, you know, skate at you know twenty seven miles an hour when they get up to it. And you just wonder how anything ever gets accomplished, and so. That's generally what I tell people who are trying to get into it, who aren't accustomed to it. I just say, just just watch the playoffs. It's it is a completely different experience than watching a regular. Right, um, yeah. But what I've been trying to talk to you about the last couple of weeks, so I've recently watched through Letterkenny, and I know you like to quote that in your dust up with JJ Watt. Yeah. But one thing one thing I picked up on is that it's almost a, a, a countercultural show in that the main characters are celebrated for having values, standing for what they believe in, backing family, being hardworking, yeah. um, being a certain skin color, if you even want to go there. And just wondering if you had any thoughts on he, it as kind he's of Canadian. A, so, you know. right. Right. Any thoughts on it as kind of a cultural product, um, that something like that would be somewhat successful, moderately successful in this day and age when everything seems to be denigrating all of those things. Um, I mean, I, I think that if, I mean, if I'm, if I'm being honest, um, I think the guys behind it don't really care much about those kind. you know, they don't really, their goal is to not like, uh, make it about those issues. They're just kind mm -hmm. of integrating it and they're kind of doing what's just funny to them. And generally the shows that do that, uh, you know, like Jared Kiso is the guy behind it and he, yeah, and he's also Shorzy and the guys that kind of just focus on what they know and they just, what they think is funny is, is usually what works. You can look at South Park is the same way. 
Um, and you can argue South Park is very much a countercultural style show and it has been forever. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think these guys just are who they are and they're saying that this is what we do. This is what's funny to us. And, you know, they're also, especially with Shorzy, it's a, it's a line where they, they're honoring kind of hockey Canadian culture, but they're also lampooning it at the same time. And it's like, it's like walking a tightrope where one foot honors it and one foot makes fun of it. And then one foot, you know, and so I, I know what you mean by like all how it, you know, talks about some of the cultural issues, but I think that that's just who the guys are. I don't think that they're really going out of their way to really make these statements. I think that this is just, this is what's fine to us. We're going to put it out there and they're pretty genuine about it. And so I'm hoping upon hoping that, uh, we get a Shorzy season two. I don't know if they're going to do it or not, but um, yeah, I'm actually, I liked, I liked Shorzy more than I liked Letterkenny just because of the hockey culture and the references and the characters. Uh, if you've ever been on a team, whether it's kids or men's team, there is always that fucking guy with the backwards hat and the dip cup. Like that's, just, there's just always that guy is on the team. And so the, how accurately he's able to portray a lot of that stuff is just, that's the funniest thing about it. And just the shit talk that he comes up with. These are guys that have either played or they just all know kind of, you know, how to jive with that culture. And so, yeah, I, it's an, it is like a low key show. And, you know, it's one of those when it pops up, you tell people to go and sit. It's sort of like, you know, kids in the hall, not like it in the same humor, but it's that same kind of subversive um, Canadian style humor. And so, but I don't necessarily think they're like out to make a point in that way. I think that this is just kind of, you know, what they find funny. Huh. Interesting. Yep. That's all I got. And uh, go give your balls a tug. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're just going to go down the list here. Uh, Joseph, go ahead. Good to see you again. Hello. Yep. You're there. Go ahead. Alrighty, so I guess I'll give my uh, quick fire thoughts on the kind of the news from yesterday. Is that uh, I was a fan of. Uh, I'm neither a fan of Carlson nor Don Lamont. I think uh, uh, the Don Lamont firing was just like a cherry. Was like the cherry on top of the news from yesterday. Um, going back to Carlson, I just never thought that he would ever get fired because <laughs> it seems like he was one of those like. Uh, Fox's biggest cash cows, and it seemed kind of weird that like they that with whatever had transpired over the weekend that that would be like the the final straw for them to let him go because it always felt like that like it didn't matter what Tarl Carlson said or do it, it always felt like they would like keep him like no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I I I sort of disagree with just based on their history with Glenn Beck and their history with Bill O'Reilly. Oh, I mean, sure. they, O'Reilly was in a similar position. He, he was kind of a longstanding, uh, guy at Fox. He had the number one show. He, he was kind of the face of the network. And then of course the, you know, the Roger Ailes lawsuit happens with the women at Fox and they mm -hmm. pretty much cut ties with him instantly. Same as this. It was just, he woke up and it was like, oh, he's out at Fox. And then of course, Carlson came in and took that time slot and, you know, kept it there and arguably, um, made it more popular and made it more of his own. Um, but so, yeah, I, I'm sort of shocked in that way that you are, that I think he was given a very long leash at that network, but ultimately 
I think it just comes down to is getting rid of him going to cost us more than it is to keep him in the long run with some of the stuff that's flying out there. And so it doesn't, it doesn't really shock me that it was that abrupt because, you know, that's kind of who Murdoch is. Right. I see that too. Even though I'd argue with the, the Bill O'Reilly thing, that was, that was a situation where they were just kind of backed into a corner and like that one, they couldn't like just keep quiet about and like keep him at that position. They were just like pushed back into a corner. They're like, okay, we have no choice, but to let him go. Cause I remember that was like a big story. Yeah. But I mean, but that also might be what happens with Carlson. We don't really know yet. And there's, uh, there's um, this lawsuit they're facing with Smartmatic. They're also facing yes. this lawsuit from Grossberg, who's a former booking producer. Mm. He's made accusations against him and against Fox. The problem with her, in my view, is that she is running all over MSNBC and CNN telling her story. And that's generally something every lawyer will tell you not to do. Um, so there's still questions about her case against Fox and whatever. And so, I mean, we don't know. We don't know if it was conduct. We don't know if it's something. Usually when it's that abrupt, it's, you know, it's it's something that's, I don't want to say damning or it's something that's whatever, but it's usually a pretty big deal. And so it could be anything from conduct. It could be anything to, hey, we need you to stop talking about January 6th or Dominion and Tucker saying, well, I'm not going to. And them saying, well, then you're fucking fired, whatever. So, I mean, we we don't know if, you know, again, Fox was kind of backed into a similar situation like they were with O'Reilly. So um, and that was like one of the things I turned down writing pieces on it because that's all I was getting asked about. And I was kind of like, you know, you don't really need to have the hottest take right out of the gate, even though I did by suggesting he might run for president. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like it's okay to have the hot take, but to have just the speculative hot take when you don't really know anything. That's generally when I pump the brakes on, you know, people saying, you know, come out and come out and, you know, write this piece right now. Or I had people demanding I get on do a call and let yesterday or do a podcast yesterday. And I was like, no, I want to I want this to simmer for 24 hours and see. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm just kind of like waiting for more details to come out to see to get a clear picture of like what's going of like what went down behind the scenes. Cause I'm seeing, I saw a lot of people, different people say like kind of speculate what happened or anything. I think like. The easiest one that they everybody jumped onto was like the Dominion lawsuit, since that costed Fox a lot of money. Even though I think Sajelani argued that that like, like Tucker Carlson didn't focus on like the Dominion stuff that much, and like he even in the private Texas he kind of denied it. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean maybe so. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this to me is a good exercise and, you know, <laughs> everybody just kind of react, reacting to something that, you know, was, was a huge deal, which it is. Um, and then I also found, found it funny, like CNN just, you know, 45 minutes later, it's like, Oh, now fire Don Lamont. This is our chance. Just do this. No <laughs> one will right. notice. And, uh, I mean, that to me is another, sh- that shows you another way of how CNN is not really a news organization. It's a political operation. People can argue Foxes too, yes. but you know, they're playing politics with, you know, you know, announcing one of their leading morning show hosts is, is fired and they're doing it right on the heels of Fox because they know not so much the people on social media, um, but at least people all over their industry are all focused on what's happening at Fox. So it's just like they just ushered Don Lamont out the back door and, and put him in an Uber and it's like, get out of here. See you later. We're not even... Yeah, I agree with all that. So hopefully we'll get more information about it in the next couple of days. And that's all That's all I got for the moment. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Joseph. Good to hear from you again. Andrew, we'll just go Andrew, Matt, John, and probably wrap it up.
Uh, hey, Stephen, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm always, the days after, uh, you know, a late game are always a little bit of a struggle. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not quite sitting here with like my, my face in an ice bowl, but I'm holding up. Well, you have something in common with Spashnaho because he just got it. Um, the, your Islanders just slammed him in the face with that hockey puck. Oh, great! So that's another hurricane who's injured. Yeah, it's, and they still might pull it out, but her, yeah, hurricanes. Yeah, they're, are... they're down to. Uh, I'm not sure actually. I think it might actually been a hurricane who hit him, but but the puck. But it was just it hit him in the puck, and then suddenly Brock Nelson finally just looked at it and said, "Oh, there's the puck," and just knocked it as every as the goalie was watching blood pour out of Sebastian's face. It was just wonderful. He'll be yeah. back. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just not been the hurricane year for injuries. Uh, I obviously a Colorado avalanche fan. I know that they're, I mean, they limp into the playoffs and now they they're down three guys They're and they're down there. Three guys that, that can only do what they do. And so it's, it's like, all right, this is how it's going to be. But yeah, I mean, Carolina is tough because they they are a cup team and it's cup ready, and they they are limping right along. And so, if they can get past the Islanders, the good news is is uh, who who will you guys have waiting for you? It's not Boston because Boston gets Toronto, Tampa Bay. No, we have New probably Jersey the, or it's New prob- York. It's probably Rangers. it's probably the Rangers. Although New Jersey's now woken up. Yeah. So it's we don't get there's no, no one easy in the East. Besides, ironically, the Islanders who are just doing their best to knock every single player out of the Hurricanes. So that's just – which I guess, you know, is how they got to do it. You know, that's – if the Islanders are going to win, they're going to grind this into a long, long match. But uh, I suppose the, one, the only thing I know when I think about with Tucker is that it's – I suppose I will, never really liked him, but I appreciated how he was the one of the only people who took a different position than what was seen to be conventional wisdom. Like you'd never see. And, and he did, and he um, did that very much on purpose. And I mean, there are writers and editors and he is that, I mean, he's a journalist at heart who, when they see the, you know, like you say, the common position out there, they just reflexively ask, okay, everyone's, why is everyone taking that position? And what is the opposite of it? And I'm going to go look at that. And he does that sometimes very well, which I've, I've addressed. And then sometimes he does it very much not well. <laughs> Where, you know, it's, it is just completely off the charts, just um, hypothesizing and conspiracizing and whatever. But um, I mean, that's just that to me he has a naturalist journalist mind where that's what good journalists should do. Whether you're on the left or the right, it's you look at the position that everyone on your side is taking or everyone on the other side is taking and you say, okay, why is nobody talking about the other side of this? And then he goes and he uses that. And that's very, that was very much his act. Right. Now there are times I definitely disagreed with him and times I thought he was smarter than everyone else. I guess see him, you know, bring on, Republican version of John Brennan 752. You know what I mean? You're never going to see that sort of we have to do it. And I guess part of it just becomes from that he did was a little bit more like that up leading into the Iraq war, you know, from what weekly standard and all that. And it's just kind of affected him somewhat. And I think I still th- think we do, do not understand the feelings that some people have about that, the lead up to that war and how that has affected people's ability to take on certain issues. Yeah, I know, I know 
Glenn Greenwell talked about how he used the platform and Josh D's in the comments saying we're talking about like he's died. No, we're just we're talking about his time at Fox. Um, he's going to he's going to go do something else and he's going to end up going and doing whatever he wants. But, you know, Greenwald mentioned, you know, he was the only guy who was t- taking the opposite stance of, you know, some of the stuff from the intelligence state. And I, like I said, COVID is really where he was kind of a skeptic with that. And, and some of it was good skepticism. Some of it was bad skepticism. Um, but like when you have the entire Canadian government and our government painting, you know, truckers as terrorists, domestic terrorists, he's the guy who kind of goes, well, why are you doing that? And, you know, these guys are just sitting in ice hot tubs and playing hockey outside. They're not like storming the Capitol with their trucks here. And so again, whether or not it's Tucker Carlson or somebody else, that kind of voice is important to have on television, even if you don't agree with it. And I don't, I don't know who uh, that would be at MSNBC or who that would even be. Yeah. Yeah. That's just how you have to deal with it. It's unfortunate, but I guess he, he just was, he just got a little too far into his conspiracy season. But, uh, Okay, well, I hope you have a good night, Stephen, and I'll try to make this quick so you can get off and relax from your own hockey game. Oh, Aho's back, so that might be so. Maybe something good will happen. Well, you have a- thanks, Andrew. Good luck, Matt. You're up. Go ahead. Hey, Miller. Thanks for your service this week, man. This is why you get paid the uh, big bucks. <laughs> it is. I'm not like. It's funny. I said on the podcast, like I just. Uh, I, there's very few instances where every single medium of mine is blowing up at the same time, where it's Twitter DMs, it's my phone, it's two of my emails, and then it's also, you know, my personal Facebook with friends going, oh, what's going on, huh? Yeah, and, hopefully uh, your Tinder account too, brother. Yeah, right? And so I just, I checked out at like, you know, two hours into it. I'm like, no, nope, I'm done. Like, I, after I took two editorial meetings. Uh, I had to do Larry O'Connor's show and... Uh, like that, that's, that's kind of why it blindsided me. We were supposed to talk about Buzzfeed with Larry O'Connor and it happens. And then he texts me 20 minutes before, you know, whatever. And they're like, Hey, can we talk about this? And I'm just like, sure. I don't have an opinion on it yet, but yeah, let's go. And then I was pretty much exhausted and I was over it in about two hours. So I'm, I'm dealing with it better now <laughs> just cause it's slowed down, but I have people texting me, asking me, what do I know? And I'm, I'm not an insider at Fox. I'm like, I don't know anything guys. I mean it. And then I have people, you know, asking me to do, you know, pieces for them and then pitches. And I have, I have you people asking me to do a pocket. And it was just like, yeah, I'm checking out. I'm going to mentally check out here for the day. And so I, I just monitored it. And then, like I said, now it's just a question of what comes out and, you know, why it happened. And then, you know, who they replace them with. But, yeah, yeah. you're right. This is this is these are the things I get paid for. You are definitely. I, I actually really liked your podcast today. I think it's one of your better ones in a while. Um, and. I, I was listening to it and I am a Tucker Carlson watcher um, and not that the people here really probably give a shit, but the reason that I am, the reason I called in, I try to space out when I called in, I called in like a week ago, but I like Tucker because of how much he's evolved. I didn't like Tucker when he was the crossfire Tucker and he does these, he's done a Megan Pal- a Kelly podcast. He does all of them like kind of like he does like the conservative circuit those long form conversations are very interesting. He's a very interesting guy with a lot more to say than he says on Fox on cable news. And he's put into that kind of um, a little bit of that kind of 
cage where he can only he can clearly he says a lot because he's gotten a little conspiratorial, but he's got short segments. The long form stuff's interesting. Um, but he talks about how he was this like classic, like carbon copy Republican. He was the bow tie guy, pro Iraq war. And then he sat back and it kind of started to hit around COVID times where he's totally evolved. And he's not really even aligned with the Republican Party so much anymore. Um, and the reason I appreciate the guy and he's the only thing that I put on on Fox. I don't watch Fox. Brett Baer probably once or twice a month to catch up on news. And then Tucker for maybe the first segment and I turn it off maybe two to three times a week. So it's good that he's leaving Fox. He'll go do something better. Um, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be interesting. But I think he's kind of analogous to kind of where the country's gone. You have a lot of people like myself who were like a Mitt Romney Republican, not like the guy who's a rhino, but I have evolved. And I think about things and I ask more questions where before it was like, we need to cut taxes and we need to go like spread democracy everywhere. And now it's like, hmm, like, why the fuck are we doing that? Why are the why are those the issues that we care about? So that's why I liked him. I appreciate him. He's a free speech guy. Um, and I actually never really thought that he liked Trump, whether his shtick was that he was. I think he liked the idea of Trump pushing back on everything else he seems coming from the left. And if fucking Trump's the guy that has to do it because no one else will, then he's going to have to talk him up on a show. And behind the scenes, he's probably like, this guy's a buffoon. He has no values. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like the best we got to fight against what's coming from from the left. So that's just my perspective on it. Yeah, I do think no one really on cable news, and you can argue either at Fox or MSNBC or CNN, really actually knows the pulse of their audience more than he does. And whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and that's why I think that's why he was so tuned in, like you said, to what was happening on COVID. And, you know, like I said, when CNN and MSNBC are putting politicians on to tell you to wear your mask, um, he was the guy who's putting on the guy whose business got shut down. And he was the only guy really doing that, even at Fox. And he just he he's apt at, I think, seeing where the country goes issue wise and then he's really good at picking that up so when he sees this gender theory discussion now happening he knows to just get on top of that and either cover it or it's going to be like fine if you're going to dox lives of tiktok i'm going to go put her on my show and, and interview her and he's really again apt at picking those issues and i think a lot of it has to do with his staff they're very in tune on social media and stuff so like the daniel perry thing in texas is a good example of something where it's being talked about in some pieces on the conservative right um, it's being ignored by others and but they see that you know this is a discussion that's happening and so he then picks it up and he does a monologue about it and then the next day greg abbott is like oh shit i better do something about that there's not a lot of that happening uh on 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 any cable news show or any cable infotainment style show and so that's one of the things he he probably takes with him whether he goes to Rumble or he starts his own outfit again or he does a podcast, is he's going to take that built-in audience. And, you know, I don't care, no, if they stay at Fox or not or whatever, um, but that's that's something he's going to have. And there are very few personalities in media that have that kind of effect or following. You could argue Joe Rogan is one. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see what he does. And whatever he does is, you know, I compared to him to Don Lamont is, and it's not something that was original 
where people said, you know, when you compare the two, Carlson's going to be able to go do whatever he wants. Uh, Don Lamont maybe has a podcast or a news nation, but Don Lamont's personality has been so toxic. It's one of the worst, you know, kept open secrets in the entire media for it has been for years. And so his options might be limited. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he'll just go vacation Veracruz or some shit. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that that's that's what Carlson. I think Carlson's a guy who he recognized the political right is changing, and there whether or not it's for the good or the worse is you know whatever people can debate that. But he recognized that issues are changing, and the nature of politicians are changing. Um, you know, this isn't this isn't Mitt Romney's GOP anymore, and largely Mitt Romney is to blame for that. Um, so you still kind of have this dynamic now, like this upcoming presidential election, where you do have you do have Trump, the bomb thrower. You have kind of a guy who is taking some of the best parts of Trump, but then he's also educated on policy and he knows the issues, and that's the Florida governor. And then you have Nikki Haley who kind of feels like a, you know, a, a Romney McCain era hanger on in a bit. Um, and then you have guys, you know, like Pence and Tim Scott, who are just trying to run as like the religious healer. And so I think Carlson is someone who recognizes that this party has changed as the country has changed. And it's not going to be Bill Crystal's GOP anymore if it hasn't been for the last seven years. Like that's never coming back. So it just depends on what it evolves into. And I think Carlson is a guy that at least recognizes those factors, whether or not he agrees with some of them or not. He does he does see the opening that the Republican Party has become more of a you know populist nationalist workers party, just the common man party. And he's helped facilitate that. Like I said, um, when you have MSNBC, which is just CIA TV all the time and FBI TV all the time. And you have CNN, which is just kind of like buttoned down East Coast progressive TV. Um, you, you have a guy who, like I said, is more in touch with his audience and what his audience thinks than just. A- yeah. And I, I think there's two things there. I think he's totally in touch with his audience. I also genuinely, from what I've, uh, he did, Megan Kelly's podcast, I'd recommend finding it and listening to it. It's about an hour and 45 minutes and it's very good. And he's very cerebral. I actually truly believe that there's some issues that he doubles down on a show, show and he comes across as more of a shtick that he actually f- believes in his personal life where he's not on air that we're in trouble. The country's in trouble. And he passionately believes in that. And that if he needs to like get behind whatever candidate he needs to get behind to stop that, he'll, he'll do that and he'll use his voice. Um, the one other thing too is whether you're interested or not, he talks about how he, um, he, gathers the content and he spills his show. So he's talked about this a few times. I've, I've listened to him in a few interviews. So he has thousands of people that have his phone number that he texts. Clearly Brian Stelter has his phone number, but he gets his information from people that he meets. When he travels, he talks to people and then he gets people's phone numbers and he and his producers go over the text messages they get each morning in terms of stories and things that want, they want to talk about. And he says that's how he he essentially networks and gets the information coming in. And then they figure out, all right, what's really relevant that we need to talk about that's current? What's kind of um, more for like the B and C block? And it's really interesting how they gather the content, how they used to gather the content to figure out what they want to talk about on the show. And it's not like he's sitting around reading the Wall Street Journal and then watching CNN going, okay, we're going to do the show this way. So he's got this huge network that he always talks about of people that text them. 
And he listens to people that way to kind of figure out, to your point, to kind of get a pulse of what's going on in the country and what his kind of viewers are uh, interested in. Yeah, and it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, one of the things is he was, as I said, on Fox, he was kind of the tentpole for Fox Nation. So to see what they're going to do there is, is going to be interesting to watch. And so it, it is going to be, as, as far as people who are in media and, we, and, we, and I watch and I cover this stuff, it's it's going to be interesting to see what direction they go into. If, if I was betting... I, I think that Jesse Waters probably takes that spot and they just, yeah. they move, they move, they move someone, you know, into Jesse Waters spot, like a Harris Faulkner or someone like that. They move someone over from news into opinion or something. So that's just my guess. That's not based on anything inside or anything like that. It's just based on, you know, his rise at that network as well. And I think there's a large portion of that audience, like a guy like me who won't turn Fox on anymore, not as a protest, just not interested in what they have to offer. I get news elsewhere. Um, very little listen to some guy in Substack talk a couple of days a week. He's kind of entertaining, but yeah, like you're going to, they're going to lose a portion of those people. Just like I turned into Tucker for 30 minutes a week, a couple of days a week and uh, he's gone. So I don't want to listen to Jesse fucking waters anymore. So. Um, yeah, it's demographic shifts. I mean, cable news isn't picking up younger viewers. That's the thing. And so maybe, you know, Maybe Fox shocks and then they fucking hire Charlie Kirk, who is basically just like Tucker. Uh, we'll wrap up with JD and Cody. JD, good to see you again. Go ahead. Yeah, you hear me? Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit, but go ahead. Perfect. Let me just uh, check this out. I completely agree with you on the Kings. I think they're dominating. Edmonton, and it's a surprise to me that that series is even 2-2. And I actually <clears throat> proposed to you in a tweet that we do a call-in episode where we go over the NHL playoffs for any of your listeners who might be new to the game. Um, but you're on point, man. Really appreciate it, and it's good analysis, um, particularly when you mix it with cultural commentary and everything else. And getting to that latter point, I was curious what your thoughts are on not necessarily Tucker, but the Ray Epps deal. Um, so we have it's kind of you know they're indirectly related, but what do you make of that? I listened to BD on Greenwald System Update tonight, and it strikes me as you know the CBS sixty Minutes piece on on Epps framing it one way, and and there was some sort of uh, you know discourse that maybe Tucker's dismissal had something to do with him going after Epps and so forth. But I just was curious um, to see what you made of Epps in that whole whole saga. Uh, the, there there is a rumor that Epps is going to try to sue Fox News, and Tucker was part of that. I don't know how much of that's related to his dismissal or anything like that. Um, Ray Epps is is weird. That's all I can say. I don't really have. Uh, an opinion because I know that it's out there and but there are weird things about it where he's he's clearly on tape trying to incite people to go into the Capitol um, and it's weird that this guy who is like should should be the guy that makes the case that this was a pre-planned event and which is the legal case against Trump the legal case has always been this is what he, he he planned this with the Proud Boys to go in and storm the Capitol and try to stop the Electoral College. And they haven't been able to make that link yet. Um, and so it's interesting that the one guy who's, you know, on the night before, he's like, we're going into the Capitol tomorrow. And, 
you have the New York Times taking his side. You have 60 Minutes taking his side. You have Adam Kinzinger taking his side. You have all the people that shouldn't be taking the side of a guy like this. And they do it. And I don't know why they do it. I <laughs> People like to just, oh, he's a Fed. It's, it's like, well, okay, I need to see more than, than just that. The FBI basically saying we can't talk about him is interesting to me. So... I stop at the water's edge of it's there's it's definitely fucking weird. And the idea that, you know, 60 minutes is portraying this guy. You have to understand why they're doing it. 60 minutes. That that was a hit piece on Fox News. It was to say right wing media made him this way. They made this guy this way. And now he's repented and he's claimed, you know, we we're coming to Jesus. And so he's fine now. He's a good one now. Um, and that's really how they're framing about they're using him as a as a totem to say, this is why Fox is bad, because it radicalizes guys like Epps to go out and try to storm the Capitol. And then I say, but you guys are excusing him. He's the only guy really on tape who's like, yeah, we're going into the Capitol tomorrow. And even, you know, there's Baked Alaska, the dude, he's on tape calling him a Fed, and then Baked Alaska ends up in the Capitol and going to prison. And it's interesting that Epps does this even on the day he's seen videotaped calling for this and he never goes into the Capitol. He's the last time he's seen is supposedly helping an injured guy away. So to me, I look at it and I, you know, I read about it and I'm like, well, there's definitely some weird shit here. Um, that's about as far as I'm willing to go with it because I don't know. I'm not someone who believes the FBI staged the Capitol riot so they could, you know, do this to Trump and when there's the deep state. No, that was a bunch of fucking yahoos who got tweets that Mike Pence is just going to certify the election like he's or like he can. And Trump's making claims that are based in no zero reality or constitutionality with Mike Pence. It's so roughly right when Pence did that, when, uh, you know, he said, it's my duty, da, 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 da. He said, and here we go. We're going to certify it. That's when they all started heading for the Capitol, because it, that's when it started going through the crowd that, you know, um, they were going through with this. And then, of course, they, they go through with it and they storm the Capitol. And I genuinely think most of those yahoos didn't know what they were doing because for two years they had seen people storming capitals. And now they're doing it again in Montana and Nash and in Tennessee. You know, the left's doing it again. Um, and I genuinely think most of them are just like, hey, let's go do this. And they didn't realize kind of um, what they were doing. So. Uh, no, I don't believe it was an inside job at the FBI. I, with, with There are weird circumstances around Ray Epps, period. I mean, there are. There's there's weird shit around it. Now, does that mean he's a, he's a, he's a federal plant? Does that mean he's, a, he's an asset? I don't know. <laughs> I try not to, like, go off and make bold declarations of things I don't know about in that sense. Um, but I will say there there is weird things around him. And that's, that's about as far as I'll go. And I know people, I know for some people that's like, well, no, that's not that. No, he's, and I'm just like, no, you don't know. Just like, I don't know. And it's okay. It's okay for someone in my position to just go, yeah, it's a little weird, but beyond that, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't have a huge opinion on, on, on it until I get more information about it. Some of the FBI responses around him are weird. His, justifications for saying I orchestrated this, those are weird. The fact that the media comes to this guy's defense and parts of the intelligence state and members of the January 6th committee, that's weird. Like you just, if you have eyes and ears, you're allowed to say that's a little weird. And so that's, that's my thing on the Ray Epps thing. That's about as far into yeah. like cuckoo land as I'm willing to go. Yeah, I would agree. That definitely leaves a weird interstitial space where questions should at least be asked, which is 
question what basically what Tucker was doing, even if Tucker used this particular atmosphere to kind of make it perhaps more than it, it might have been. Um, but, yeah, that's my general take as well. I think, you know, the, the, the bottom line is that it should be okay to ask questions and get answers. Um, and, and that's kind of what Tucker I, and I, – I think it's weird that when Ted Cruz asks, you know, someone from the FBI – is he an asset? She's like, I can't answer that question. <laughs> I'm like, that's a weird answer. Again, I, I hate to keep saying weird, but that's just what I think about. I'm like, that's a really weird fucking answer, especially when you're sitting there talking to Congress. Like, why can't you just flat out say, no, this guy is not an asset. He's never worked for us. Uh, this is a cable news myth, whatever. But it, there's never a, a direct no. And that was the one that really kind of got me. Like when uh, I think it was Matt Whitlock on Twitter put that one out there because I'd never seen that clip. And uh, Cruz is like saying, uh, you know, who's Ray Epps? And they're like, well, we can't really talk about the specific individual. And then he's like, has he ever worked for his assets? Like, we can't talk about that. And it's like, what? (laughs) So that that the Cruz exchange is the is the one where I kind of just like went, all right, what the fuck is this? Um, yeah, yeah, like I said, you have, like a... you, you have 60 minutes in the New York Times all running lovingly puff pieces on him. It's it's weird that the one guy who's on camera instructing people to go into the Capitol is the one guy that our entire. Yeah, it's kind of a quasi tell, like you said, with the cruise incident. But listen, man, thanks for your take on it. Let's definitely do an NHL call in, man. It would be good. They all kind of devolve into that, so we'll we'll maybe see like around finals. Uh, I'll look at maybe. Doing I think finals. the Islanders. I think the Islanders are going to push this further, and I think the the Wild and Dallas will go seven. So we'll have a lot to talk about. I really hope Dallas and the Wild go seven, and I hope they hurt each other very badly and um, make each other very tired. Although that may not matter now. With it looks like you know Seattle and Colorado are probably going to go seven now. So we'll see. Insane. All right, man. Take it easy. Take care. We'll uh, we'll wrap up with Cody here, making good time. So it's a good episode, Cody. Uh, thanks for waiting. You're our last caller, so hey, no problem. Uh, I'll couch this in a couple ways. First, I don't watch Tucker or Don Lamont at all. Um, and two, these are not full thought out things. They're just stuff I've thought about in the last hour or so. But I know you're not a baseball guy, but are you familiar with the concept of war wins above replacement? Uh, am I familiar with the concept of what? Just say, that, just say that again. War. It's a metric. Wins above replacement. They use it in baseball. No. So basically, it's like a kind of a nerdy way of saying what is a player actually worth compared to a team? like compared to the average replacement level player. So the higher your war is, the more wins you are. It wins your worth. To the so team. we're not, this isn't like base. This isn't money ball analytics, is it? Yeah, it very much kind of is. Okay. It's kind of in that, in that. So, realm. right. So it's, so even if a guy, you know, even if a guy can't hit that great, uh, he, if he can, he gets, he takes more walks and therefore gets on base more and therefore puts himself to score more as opposed to a guy who strikes out trying to hit home runs all the time. And he's paid 50 gazillion dollars, right? Yeah. It's just all weighted around. Like what is like, it's, it, there's a bunch of calculations that go into it, but it's just a yeah. very nerdy way of like determining the value to your team. So I would argue that certainly Don Lamont, but, Tucker to a certain extent too, I would argue that they're like 
war wins above replacement to their respective networks is not very high. So I'm betting that, you know, Tucker could go away. They'll fill the spot. I think the captive audience is mostly there. Yeah. And they think they can build the next star. Why Don Lemon is still like, even he should have been fired years ago. There's no reason for him to be there. He's not attracting anyone. Yeah, I think I think the baseball analogy that you're bringing is interesting, especially as it pertains to Carlson, because there's definitely there was definitely had to be a calculation there, which is you know their settlement with Dominion was less than half of what Dominion was asking. So that's interesting on a few faces. It's interesting in the sense of uh, maybe Dominion doesn't have as strong a case as they thought they had because there were even journalists making a First Amendment argument for Fox that's saying, hey, even even if you felt like you were libeled or your company's, you know, was brought into this, we have to investigate claims and questions of, of voter fraud as pertains to voting machines. They can point to 2016 when uh, several outlets made the claim that, you know, Russian hackers access several voting systems in several states. And but where kind of those outlets stop is they just go kind of wink, wink, and they, they don't actually name the system. They don't name anything like that. And then when you ask them, like, what do you mean by that? They go, oh, we just, you know, we heard that Russian hackers did that. It's like, oh, OK, what voting systems? Oh, you know, voting systems or whatever. And so. To me, that settlement says maybe this we're not going to get, you know, the one point five billion that we're asking or whatever. They settle for less than half. It's clearly in Fox's interest for this to go away. Um, And so I I think that it's certainly possible that even even when you have your number one face of your network, the number one show on your network, um, I I think he's I think he's basically taking with him twenty eight million dollars. That's a lot of money but that's not $787 million. And so you can certainly look at the calculation where it says also at the Smartmatic lawsuit and the election coming up and, and Tucker's willingness to kind of still engage with Trump's stuff, they they make the calculation that, hey, he, he might be the star quarterback of this team, but even that's not worth how much we're going to be forking over in fines over the next two to three, four years. And so you can certainly look at it and suggest that they made a calculation with him and they said, yeah, this is going to sting. It's like a cap hit, you know, although I know there's no salary cap in baseball um, that they just say, fuck it, we're going to cut him. And that's the end of it. Don Lamont, you're right on in the sense of this guy has been a net negative for that network for years. Um, Whether it's, you know, his, his speculation about airplanes getting swallowed up by black holes. Um, He famously had that segment where he told, you know, gangster kids to pull their pants up and then he got reprimanded for that. And then he became kind of woke Don Lamont. And that's interesting because he has really changed his persona to fit the, you know, fit the changing network. And there's a lot of rumors that that's how he's able to stay on there for so long. He's more of an actor. He's more of a performer. And I've always said that that's basically what CNN does. They perform the news. And he's a typical Jeff Zucker guy. And so he was able to kind of change his demeanor and and change his stripes enough to stick with the change of what the network is doing. And then basically when the network pulls back, he's not able to pull back. And he, you know, goes off on Nikki Haley and he goes off to the Gramaswamy. And these are, you know, both one is tinged in sexism. The other is really tinged in racism. Um, 
And so you're absolutely right that he just becomes a drag. He becomes a complete net negative. We're not gaining viewers. We're probably losing viewers because of this guy. He, because he's so toxic. All right. See you later. You're gone. But it is, it is interesting about how many years uh, Don Lamont held on as opposed to Fox cutting loose of car. Yeah, I think it kind of, I mean, it almost works in the opposite way, not in the opposite, but if you put, like your average replacement on Fox is probably not bringing Tucker, at least for the short term. But I think long term, you know, you could get close to the same audience and numbers if that's what you're like basing your metrics on just viewership. But if you put Tucker Carlson on MSNBC or his average replacement on the MSNBC is is essentially nothing he becomes that much more valuable to your like network so it almost works you know if you, to your point if he had moved to a network where like the average person at msnbc brings in nothing and then all of a sudden you drop tucker carlson in his whatever he brings to his audience like that he becomes much more valuable to that kind of network than he does to fox so i think it becomes sort of easier for fox to swallow to just say okay we're all done with this we can we can move Jesse Waters in and gain and have 85% of the audience. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that that's probably what they think. They're very much like, like Bill Belichick in that way. You know, it's just like, it's, we have a formula that works. We have a system that works. We have an eye for talent. We know how to find good people. We know how to put producers that know what they're doing around them. And um, I mean, it wasn't just even with Tucker. I mean, they did that with Bill O'Reilly. They did that with Megan Kelly. Um, you know, who is, I forget who the anchor was before Brett Baer, uh, took over that slot at Fox. Um, and so you're right in the sense of they are just, they're, they're really good at either eyeing talent or finding that grooming talent. And then, like you said, putting them into that spot. And I bring up Jesse Waters just because he feels like the perfect hybrid of Bill O'Reilly and Tucker Carlson. Um, and I'm not the biggest fan of his in the world. I've obviously been on his show once. Um, but to me, he is like an ultimate Fox company man. And he feels like a guy, like, especially when he gets his own primetime show right before Tucker. Um, or I think it's, I don't know if it's right before, right after or whatever, but, uh, and then he, he ends up with like the most highly watched new show. Um, you're certainly onto something when you say that they think that they have a formula and it's like, you're right. We can put anybody there. We can put Harris Faulkner there. We can move one of our, we can put Brian Kilmeade there. Uh, maybe they put, uh, after maybe they get Ducey out of there and they put Ducey in the time slot and they just give Jackie Heinrich the, the white house beat. They could do that. And you know, I think you're right to a certain extent, they're going to get an audience right off the bat. 90% of journalists being them, they'll all tune in to just see who, you know, what this new Fox person says. And uh, I mean, it remains to be seen if they can keep going that way, but you're definitely right about the formula that Fox. Yeah. I mean, that's all I got uh, to end with. Do you think my Sabres have a goalie for the future and does the future look bright? Uh, it looks brighter than it's been. I mean, you almost had yourself a, a plucky young playoff team. Um, I, even at the play, to me, if Buffalo makes the playoffs, they don't do much. If I mean, Buffalo is very much to me like the Kraken, which is you know they're just a just a, a speedy upstart team that likes to clog shit up. Um, but I think that they're they're on their way. How far that gets, I don't know because it's Buffalo. 
Um, but they're certainly better than they've been in decades, in years since, you know, their, their cup appearance. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the Sabres are a fun young team to watch. They're just, they're fast. They don't have a ton of like huge stars. And uh, I mean, they're a team to me that a couple of years growth, they're, they're, they remind me of the Islanders from a few years ago. You know, when right when you know the Islanders got Tavares and they put kind of a bunch of mucky weird dudes around him, and they ended up getting up there, and they're still kind of up there. So, yeah, I, I don't know about like you're not going to be hoisting the Stanley Cup here anytime soon, but you won't. You are going to have a decent hockey team to watch because they are a fun young team. So, uh, they're. I mean, it's always more fun if your team is on an upslope than a downslope. So you look at a team like Nashville, for example. Nashville's always been on an upslope. This is a team that's just gotten better and better and better. And then they get Duchesne and they get better and better and better. And they always had a goaltender. And then they make the playoffs these last couple of years, couldn't get out of the first or second round. And now they miss the playoffs and they're probably toast. Um, so you definitely have a Sabres team that is on that uptick. So that's the good news. Um, whether or not they can maintain it without, you know, shedding half of their roster and rebuilding every year or so, I don't know. We'll see. I'm always a fan of teams that get better when they, unload their you know bitchy star uh oh, so God. like when even even if it makes las vegas better like clearly eichel was a problem in the savers locker room and they get rid of him and all of a sudden buffalo's playing better uh sort sort of that way with tavares and the islanders um speaking of baseball that's kind of how it was to me with bryce harper um i don't follow baseball personalities or stuff like that but i always love when a star leaves a team and then that team does better and even to the point of winning a World Series. And whether or not that's hockey or football or whatever sport, I'm always just a fan of that. Um, it was kind of that way when Duchesne left the Avalanche. Um, it's just whenever that happens, I always love it just when a star says, this place isn't good enough for me. And they turn around and they say, you know what, we want guys that want to win here. And then to see Colorado just plow through Nashville on their way to a cup last year, and, and Duchesne has to sit there and fucking watch it happen. I loved it. I loved every single second of it. So that's the good news with your Sabres. So they unload the drama that is Jack Eichel, no matter how good he is. And now you have kind of a fun young team to watch. So they are better than they, than uh, there. It will be better hockey in the next coming years than it, than it has been for you up there. But yeah, I <laughs> Buffalo's kind of the fucking Siberia of the NHL. I totally get it. So all right. Well, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the any kind of positive news as a suffering Buffalo fan. Yeah, as, lo as long as they don't trade everyone again. You know, it's like you have to stick. If you're going to do a rebuild, you have to stick to it for like two to three to four years. And it depends because it depends on ownership and sometimes players. Now they're now you want players asking for more, more money. So we got to get rid of you and just kind of keep making sure fans show up to the building. And so. Um, if they stick with this kind of core, this, this players, yeah, it's They're going to be a fun team to watch. And, you know, in a couple of years, they're going to start making noise. So we'll see. All right, cool. Thanks. All right, man. Take care. I like, I like the baseball analogy with, with Fox and CNN. That's a good way to wrap up. Um, thanks again to, uh, callers. Good batch of the usuals tonight. Uh, I will be back on Substack tomorrow. Probably going a little bit more into this, but there's other stuff I want to talk about. Anthony Fauci's profile in the New York Times is interesting uh, with how he's now hedging himself, which to me is at least preparing for congressional testimony, but we'll see. Um, and a few other things going on. Apparently, 
uh, President Boomer Dad is saying he's not going to participate in debates. And there's a lot of interesting stuff around that, especially with Joe Biden saying he's not going to debate. So, yeah, we're on the right track here, America. Keep it keep it up. We're doing great. <laughs> so I'm Stephen Almiller. This is the first of Media Live on call. And thanks again to uh, callers. Thanks again to you guys for just taking an hour tonight to listen. Uh, you keep this show up. You keep this episode and the show up here on call in up in the top two or three, which is always great to see. And which is why I keep coming back to do it. So, again, thanks to you guys. Uh, I will see you all on Substack tomorrow. Uh, go enjoy the rest of your nights. Cheers.